Romans chapter 3, we will look at verses 27 through 31 this morning. And if you're visiting with us and your children are in that age group, four years old to fifth grade, if you want to go with them to see where we take them, how things are structured, kindergarten through second grade are in one side of the building, third grade through fifth grade on the other side of the building, and uh, we, are walk, we walk them through a three-year chronological study of the Bible through the Gospel Project, Southern Baptist uh, material there, produced material. It's a great uh, material. And so Pastor Corey has half, and Michael and Heather have half. And so if you want to check that out, that's more than fine. But uh, verse 27 of Romans 3. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since indeed God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. Do we then nullify the law through faith? It may never be. On the contrary, we establish the law. Paul, we have looked in depth at some tremendous theological truths that have built us really enabled us to get to this point. Truths that are heavy, truths that are not popular. Uh, it is not popular to, uh, to look at the wrath of God for four weeks. It is not pos- popular to, to look at the justified wrath of God for four weeks, uh, to, to explain to us that, that we are sinners, that we're incapable of making our way to God on our own, of mending this relationship with God on our own. That... that but Paul has done that for a reason, and, and he has built to, to this point. And it's to show faith. To explain the importance of faith. To explain the importance of why God is not simply a God of the Jews, but why he is the God of the whole world. One God, one true God for the whole world. How does that work? Faith. Faith. From from 327 until 425, faith is going to be the issue that Paul deals with in every single section. Faith is the means by which God's righteousness is credited to us. And what he's going to show is it's always been that way. Not one way in the Old Testament, another way in the New Testament. Not one gospel in the Old Testament, not a different gospel in the New Testament. It's always been faith. Everything has always been pointing to Christ, leading to Christ. See Galatians 3.24. And and Paul is going to look in these coming sections through 4.25, and he's going to hold up faith as he does today, and he's going to contrast it to works of the law. And in chapter 4, next week, Lord willing, verses 1 through 8, he's going to contrast it to works in general. In 4, 9 through 12, he's going to contrast it to circumcision. In 13 through 16, he's going to, talk, he's going to contrast it to the law again. In 17 through 22 of chapter 4, he'll contrast faith to sight. Everything will be evaluated in light of faith. And today, we're going to look at verses 27 through 31, which really forms the basis, the foundation, for the rest of the section that we look at with regards to faith. 
And so for the sake of time, jumping right in, the main point, you see other handout. The righteousness of God is available to sinners through, here's the fill-in, faith alone. Faith alone. God's righteousness can be credited to you through faith alone. Apart from anything about us. Through faith alone. Again, every, every, for the next coming weeks, faith is going to be the topic of every chapter, every paragraph, rather, that we look at. And Paul does this, again, because he's going to explain the, the, the point of, of negating boasting. Negating either you boasting in, as we'll see today, works of the law, or you being able to both e- boast even in your ethnicity, thinking that something about you merited or warranted God saving you. He's, under, he's cutting that out from underneath you to think that there was something about you that could lay claim or, or make, a, make a claim upon God's grace. That's what he's doing. And, and we toss the word faith around a lot. We hear it a lot. But, but really, what does it mean? And, and it's very important that, that we get this right because you see on your handout... Faith is the means by which God's righteousness is credited to us and that we are justified. We better not be deceived about what faith is. And and so faith, again, it's not simply, faith is not simply acknowledging a few facts about Jesus. That's not, it's not some mental assent to just say, well, you know, I, I, I I don't deny that a person named Jesus lived, therefore I'm saved. That's not faith. That's not faith. The the word literally means to lean your entire weight upon something. It it means to build your life upon something. You know, it's not, and it's not, you know, well, I'm going to lean on this and I'm going to lean on something else. That way, if one of these give out, you know what, I don't look like a fool and fall down. That's the way a lot of the times the world looks at faith. I'm going to kind of diversify. I'm going to spread my weight that I lean my life upon uh, over a bunch of things. And if one of them gives out, then I don't look like a fool. That's not at all what biblical faith is. Paul says if Jesus Christ has not been raised from the dead, we ought to be pitied by the rest of the world because we've built our entire life. We've staked our entire existence. 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, you ought to be pitiable. They ought to look at you and me and they say, he's a fool. The very foundation of his entire life just got taken out from under him. That's faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. There's nothing shaky about that. Faith is not, I hope so. Faith is, I know so. I believe with all my weight, with all my life, therefore I'm going to build my entire life upon that belief. Again, more than some mental ascent, does it involve a mental ascent to some facts? Yeah, there are some facts. But it's more than that. It's building your life around those facts. Around who Jesus is. And again, faith is the sole means, he says, Paul says, by which a, man, a person can be brought into a right relationship with a righteous God because of their sins. Our sins have to be forgiven. And faith is that means. 
that God, that Jesus Christ's work can be credited to our lives. Credited to our account, if you will. Faith in Jesus Christ is the sole means that God's righteous wrath against your sin can be averted. Faith, it's an important, that's important. And what Paul is showing here is that when we grasp this, here's the importance. Faith destroys boasting. That's Paul's whole point. And you see it on your handout. A couple of different things here he builds in verses 27 through 31 that are going to form the foundation again all for really the rest of Romans, but specifically through verse 25 of chapter 4. And the first thing he says here in verses 27 and 8 is that faith destroys any boasting and works of the law as a means of being justified before God. Faith destroys any boasting and works of the law. Look at verse 27. Where is boasting? Is it, exclu- is it excluded? By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by faith. For we maintain, verse 28 could not be more clear, that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And, and it's, very, it's very interesting that Paul would speak to this immediately after verses 21 through 26. What was the essence of 21 through 26? Really go all the way back to 118 through 326. Would a person that really, really grasped what Paul had just said from verses 118 through 326, do you think if you really grasped that, you would boast? Well, we still want to. There's none righteous, no, not one. None who do good, none who seek after good. All are worthy of the wrath of God. All are separated from God due to their sin. All of 21 through 26, but now God demonstrates his righteousness apart from the law. God did this. Salvation is a work of God from start to finish. And yet, here's our problem. In our sinfulness, we still want to boast. We still want to boast. And, and this is why Paul mentions it here. You see it in your handout. Because it's a sin that is common to everyone, even with regards to our salvation. There is part of us who wants to, every one of us in here wants to take credit. I, I was reminded of even yesterday, FCA had a, FCA had a, uh, a clay shoot out at Tampa Bay Sporting Clays. And um, I went with uh, some of our uh, security team here, and, and, and they, asked, they allowed me to go with them. And, and I was reminded of pride. Because the singular reason why, the, why our team, I'm, I'm telling you, the singular reason our team did not win, you're looking at him. Listen, I'm telling you. The three guys I shot with, we all shot at 50 targets. All of them hit at least 90% of them. I was encouraged that our security team has good aim. Be Rest assured, if something happens, they got good aim. The, look, we lost by four points. I missed 17, and I still wasn't proud of it. Look, and here's how depth our pride is. I know the reason we lost was because of me. I hit 33 out of 50. I'm like, Chris, you're a moron. That's terrible. But you know what? The last time I shot a gun was about a year and a half ago when I did that same event. So my pride, you know, my pride starts kicking in. Oh, 66%. That's not bad, Chris. You haven't shot a gun very long. Trying to protect myself. Trying to make myself not feel so bad. 
Listen, pride is common to all of us, even with regards to our salvation. Boasting is, is it's innate. We love to boast. We love to take credit for things. Imagine if we'd have won. I'd be like, it's a good thing y'all picked me. Instead, it's, it's, I'm sorry you picked me. But, but pride, selfishness, thinking, listen, thinking we deserve something, thinking we deserve better. How many times all of us raise our hand? How many times all of us in here, I guarantee you, we've said this, I don't deserve whatever it is that's happening. Really? Pride. That's pride. Finding our identity in what we do. Finding our identity. Listen, our pride is so deep. It's not just where we find our pride in what we do. We'll go so far as say, you know what? I'm great because I don't do what they do. It's not only what we do. We'll find our pride in what we don't do. And everything about us wants to boast, even with regards to our salvation, even with regards to God choosing us. And and the nature of their boasting, why was it sinful? Specifically, it was obedience or law-keeping and thinking that that is what merited favor with God. That what they did, because of what they did or didn't do, that God had to, or was in a position where He had to save them. Or should have saved them. And what Paul battles here, you see it on a handout, it's not the mere fact of obedience. And, and that's a false conclusion here that we'll get into in verse 6. Oh, well, if, if grace abounds where sin abounds, then let's sin all the more, he says in Romans 6.1. And Paul says the same answer he says here, by no means, you're not understanding grace. If that's your conclusion, you're not rightly understanding grace. And if you think faith eliminates the the call to obedience, to loyalty, you're not understanding faith. But but again, what Paul is dealing with here is is the reality that obedience can be done in such a way that makes it an enemy to faith. You're now competing for the praise of your salvation. You see it? You're going to boast that because of what you did or didn't do, God saved you. So now you're competing with God. And God says in Isaiah 42, I will not, I the Lord God, I alone are God, I will not share my glory with another. What, What Paul is dealing with here is the false assumption that you can earn or that you deserve salvation. And there are many today who want to limit this to covenant identity markers that pertain to Jews, meaning circumcision or feasts or these things. It goes way beyond that. Again, the Jews had, a. if you go to Romans 9, I mean, there was a sense that they had a reason to boast. I mean, they had, he deals with that in chapter 2. They had been given the oracles of God. You know, they, they had been, they had seen God do great things through them. But Paul, Paul deals with it here with the idea of, of earning or meriting your salvation. They did nothing to earn or merit their salvation in and of themselves. 
And, and Paul will deal with this in Romans 4. Abraham, way before the law, way before the law, he'll say Abraham was justified through faith, way before the law. You can go to Galatians 3, same thing. Paul says 430 years before the law. It's apart from the law. Daniel read it, but Ephesians 2.89, For by grace you have been saved. How? Through faith. Why? So that no one would what? Boast. And yet, what do we go around doing? We still boast. I'm better than that person. I don't do what they do. Oh, I've never done this, or I've never done that. Listen, that's why Paul says very clearly in Romans 3, there's none righteous. Level playing field. None righteous. Zero righteous. Doesn't matter. Galatians 3, he makes this point very clearly. What Paul, you see it on your handout, what Paul forbids is the tendency for somebody to lean on their accomplishments as a means of meriting favor with God. Obedience in itself is not the issue. We ought to be obedient. The issue comes when you think your obedience is what merits or earns or maintains your relationship with God. And, and I think that's part of the reason why God uses marriage as an illustration. Listen, June 28, 2003, in, in a month and a half, it'll be 15 years that Karen has put up with me by the grace of God. Listen, both of us act in a specific way towards one another because we are married, right? We don't go and say, well, I married you, now I get to do whatever I want to do. No, we, we, we're married. And because of the relationship, sir, why, why was everybody laughing? That too. 16. Time's just flying by when you're having fun, babe. It's just flying by. Man, day seems like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day, babe. What can I say? Wasn't there a leap year in there? No, I'm teasing. That's why the kids go to Karen for math. I don't even know where I was now. So, the point is, listen, I don't do what I do to earn or merit the marriage. Karen doesn't do what she does. She does because of. So don't think this eliminates faith or, or works. Obedience. But it doesn't, what he's saying is they don't establish the relationship. The, our relationship, my relationship with Karen was established June 28, 2003. And everything else flows from that. And Paul is battling this theology of works because it opposes faith. That someone, the thought that somebody could be declared righteous through their doing. That's what Paul is battling. And when you do that, your doing is opposed to faith. And again, all of us, boasting is not strictly a Jewish struggle. Thinking something that we do or don't do merits our standing with God, that merits favor with God. All of us gravitate to that. Even post-salvation, we think that because of what we've done, merits or earns, or we deserve something. And, and what, what someone does or doesn't do, the issue becomes, in all of us, is that tends to become critical 
with regards to our righteousness and how it's achieved. And Paul, that's why Paul says, apart, it is apart from the law. We maintain that a man is justified, please hear this, apart from works of the law. And you see it on your handout. Righteousness before God does not come through your system of obeying the law, but rather through a totally different system, that of believing God through faith. And But think about it, that's a big deal. Because you, you think about what faith means, what you're turning away from potentially doing. It shows your trust. If that's an option out there that the world holds out, I'm going to turn away from that option and I'm going to trust in faith alone. That's a big deal. And, and again, that our, our, we naturally live lives where we, we gravitate to boasting. And faith in the gospel, God has orchestrated the gospel the way he has specifically to destroy boasting. To cut it out from under us. And, and you see it on your hand that works and faith are mutually exclusive when it comes to being declared righteous before God. It's not 90-10. It's not 99-1. It's 100-0. It's God's doing and my doing. We didn't help him out. It's God's doing. He is the author Salvation is of God. It's His mercy. We'll deal with it in Romans 9. It's His mercy to dole out however He wants. Does our faith produce works? We obey because of our faith, but not to earn the relationship. Please see the difference. And our flesh, listen, our flesh hates to not be able to boast. And, and we, we battle with it. And the law, what the law did was expose a lack of righteousness. It exposed a need for somebody to be righteous on our behalf. See Galatians 3.24. The law was a tutor to lead us to Christ. To show a need. To show that we don't measure up. That we need somebody to be righteous on our behalf. And, what we, and, and all along it was to lead us to Christ. It was a tutor to lead us to Christ. And that humbles us. That we couldn't be perfect on our own, that we couldn't get to God on our own, that's humbling, but it's freeing when we grasp it, if we really think about it. What we deserved was wrath. And what God offers through Christ is eternal life. And again, you go to Ephesians 1, before the foundation of the world, God did this. Faith, again, it destroys boasting in anything we do, anything that we don't do. And, and again, any of that, you've got to understand, why is it such a big deal? Because do you, you do understand that that, that that assaults the sufficiency and the integrity of the cross, right? I mean, even in, even in Galatians, Paul says, if, if salvation came from any other means, then why did Christ have to die? If you could be saved any other way, why did he, why did he die? Verse 21 of chapter 2, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. 
Do you see it? It'd be like, it'd be like, you know, Jen having a debt against me and, and there's a way for that debt to be paid off and I say, well, let me just sacrifice Bradley. What would you think about me? You think I was, you're a terrible father. If you and I could earn our way to God, if you could, I could merit righteousness on our own, why did Christ die? And Paul answers that question in verse 21. He died needlessly if we could merit on our own. Apart from works of the law, you're right, our righteousness, the righteousness of God comes through Christ apart from works of the law. Why? So that you and I cannot boast. Faith destroys that. It destroys boasting in works of the law. But secondly, be there. Faith destroys both boasting in ethnicity as a means. Or is God, verse 29, the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since indeed God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith is one. What Paul is saying is that the Gentiles, the non-Jews, have just as much access to God as the Jews. And that was an astounding idea. The inclusion of the Gentiles caused a lot of grief, a lot of questions. And again, what we see is one race, one people. And you see it on your handout. What we see from Paul is the truth that the inclusion of the Gentiles and the people of God was God's plan all along. One, 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 one group of people from all nations, every tribe, every tongue. It's not meant to exclude the Gentiles. Again, Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant you, you will be the father of a nation that, that can't even be numbered. Christ is that seed that God promised. Christ is the way that we enter in to the people of God. Children of God. And, and Paul takes great pains here to, to main con, maintain continuity with the Old Testament. And, and even in a, but also to make sure that this was the, the plan all along. And, and it's interesting there, he says, since indeed, verse 30, God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith is one. One of the primary tenets of Judaism, you can see it in Deuteronomy 6.4, is that there was one God. One God. All peoples. And Paul very wisely reminds them of this. There's not one God of the Jews and one God of the Gentiles. The very nature of your, he says, Jewish person, the very nature of the foundation of your belief system is that there's one God. By the very nature there, all people, one God. And again, what Paul is doing is he's saying that, that what marks people out is faith. Even today, possession of the Spirit, that's what seals us. It's faith. Paul argues here, you see it, that there can be no barrier and that all must have equal access to God through faith regardless of their ethnicity. Regardless. Faith is the issue. Faith grants us access to God. 
And, if, and Paul is saying, look, if you're right, if you're right and there's one God, then he must also be the God of the Gentiles and the Jews, right? That, you see how he use, turns the table on them. You say God is one. And that's clearly Paul's point in the latter half of 29. The radical implication of monotheism that there's one God for all the world. And listen, I, you hear it all the time, I hear it all the time. This, this Obviously, you say there's one God. There all, yes, one, the Bible, this Bible says there is one God. All other gods are false. They're lies. If you believe what this Bible is, true, is saying. And people will naturally say, oh, Chris, that's an exclusive claim. Listen, all religions are exclusive. All religious claims are exclusive. For the world to tell me that Jesus Christ cannot be the only way, is that not an exclusive claim? Right? You're excluding my claim. By the very nature, it makes it exclusive. They'll also say, well, Chris, there can be no absolutes. Are you absolutely sure? Are you absolutely sure that there can absolutely be no absolutes? Listen, is this gospel exclusive? Yes, it is. Is it exclusive? You see it on a handout. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a different kind of exclusivity from all else in the world. I want, to, I want you to hear this, and I want you to see through Paul the beauty of this. What does the Bible say? Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of their race, regardless of their gender, regardless of their age, regardless of their ability, regardless of their disability, regardless of their IQ, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Timothy Keller said this, and I, and I love Timothy Keller. Listen to what he says. All religions are exclusive. But Christianity is the most inclusive exclusivity there is. Think about that when it's Sunday separate day. Christianity is the most inclusive exclusivity there is. That, that is what made Christianity, biblical Christianity, so controversial. It's that everyone was welcomed through faith. Again, Daniel read it earlier but but first corinthians 1 26 through 31 that was paul's whole point that look at you no none of you are noble god has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise again in verse 31 so that verse 29 so that no man may boast before god verse 31 so that no man could boast before god the fact and, and again not, not the most popular thing to say, but look around this room. The fact that you and I, through faith, can be included in the people of God eliminates boasting. Because listen, I ain't the one that you're really going to choose to build your kingdom with. Let's be honest, I'm not noble. That was Paul's point. God has chosen the weak and the foolish things of the world to use. Why? So that he would get the credit, right? So that he would get the credit. Nobody would have chosen us. Let's pick the five, six, ball-headed, skinny dude with the accent. Let's pick him. No. Uh-uh. I wouldn't have picked myself. But, but listen, pride kicks in. We, don't, we forget this. Why? Because we, we, all of us, innate to us, have a longing to clothe ourselves with an identity. Stick with me here. Go all the way back to the garden. What, what was one of the first things that Adam and Eve did after they sinned? 
they clothed, they hid themselves. And listen, you and I, even today, part of our part of our sinfulness is we know we're naked and we clothe ourselves with all kind. We use identities, all kinds of identities to clothe ourselves. We find our identity in all kinds of ways, whether it's works or ethnicity. And you think about it in this room. Think about it in this room right now. All the ways that we identify ourselves, color of skin, our, our parents, our marriage, we we we. Name, job titles, education level, abilities. And what all of these, all of these, listen, if, if this is what we're trusting in, all of them, here's the commonality, all they do is lead to division. Pride. Why? Because they lie outside of the gospel. They create a boasting in something outside of the gospel. And listen, there's nothing wrong with any of those things I just listed. You, you ought to be proud in those areas. Even in Philippians 3, Paul was a Jew. He took great pride in all of his Jewishness. Read verses 1 through 7. But in comparison, that, but those things ceased to be his primary identity marker. When he became a Christian, what did he say? His only identity was in Christ. And compared to Christ... All those other identity markers, literally in the Greek, he says dung. Paul loved his heritage. But he didn't love his heritage as much as he loved Christ. He loved his ethnicity. He didn't love his ethnicity as much as he loved Christ. Listen, the first thing, the first thing that Paul noted about himself was not his color, his ethnicity, his job title. He was, it was Christ. Read his letters. Bondservant of Christ. It was a gospel. What he was saying is this. It was a gospel-centered identity. And we find our, when we find our identities in all these other things, all it does is create division. But when we have a gospel-centered identity, that first and foremost, before everything else about Chris Basham, here's what it is. Christian. Christ follower. And Josh Tharp, you know the primary identity marker? Christ follower. And Esther, Christ follower. And Bill, Christ follower. What does that start to do? It starts to unite us. And you're beginning, you begin to see how, why, why did we entitle this series what we did? Why do we say transform, unified by the gospel? Why is the first thing that Paul says in Romans 12 is we've got to renew our minds? Because as believers, we've got to see ourselves differently. We've got to think differently. We've got to understand that the thing that unifies us in the midst of all of our diversity is the gospel. And all that underlies the gospel. Our, again, if, if you're a believer, we've got to find our primary identity and worth in being a believer. Before anything else, listen, I am a Christian. Chris Basham is a Christian who pastors the church at Odessa. Josh Finkley is a Christian who owns Golden Movers. Don't, don't get him reversed. Don't say, I'm a business owner who happens to be a Christian. No. Because, again, when you do that, the primary driver in your life begins to be the fact that you're a business owner. And the primary decision maker in your life begins to be what's good for golden movers, right? Versus when you're a Christian who happens to be a business owner. And forgive me for picking on you. This is like a paid public announcement. 
for Golden Movers. I just thought about that. Forgive me. But, but instead, when you identify yourself first as a Christian, now your Christianity dictates everything about how you operate Golden Movers, right? Because I promise you, as a business owner, in today's world, there's going to be temptations to do some things that do not line up with your Christianity. That, that's what Paul is talking about for us, and even in Philippians 2, when he talks about work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both the will and work for his good pleasure. Lay you the fact that you're a Christian over everything. Listen, I'm, I'm a Christian who is white. I'm a Christian who is married to Karen. I'm a Christian who is a parent of two. I'm a Christian who pastors a church. I'm a Christian who's been married for 16 years. You see the difference? Parenting doesn't rule my life. Marriage doesn't rule my life. That's not where I find my primary identity. My primary identity is in the one who bought me. And that dictates everything about my life. What we as Christians have to get through our heads and renew and renew our thinking, you know, tra- do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, he says in Romans 12, by the renewing of your mind. We have to allow, here it is, we have to allow our Christianity to be the primary modifier about everything in our lives. Not other way around. That has to be the primary way that we begin to see ourselves. My primary existence on this earth is about the kingdom of God. It's about making much of Jesus. The primary marker of my life, the primary modifier of my life is my Christianity. It informs everything else about us. It's not my job. It's not my parenting. It's not my education. All that, all this, and all of that leads to division. Well, I have two masters on my wall. You only have one. Well, I did this, and you did this, and I did this, and I, well, I'm this. Unified by the gospel. Unified by the gospel. Primary identity marker in all of our lives. Christian. And do you see, again, above all else, our identity must be in the gospel. And and listen, our our division, I mean, not to be funny, but there are times where we can't even make it through the Sunday supper line without fighting. I mean, listen, that's a gospel issue. Division is always a gospel issue. It doesn't matter where it's found. It's failing to see ourselves through the lens of the gospel. And when we do that, pride creeps in. Because when I interpret my... Listen, I'm not immune to it, even in our own home. How I, how I serve Karen and my kids and all of that, it goes back to the gospel. Do all things to glorify God. And, and again, even Romans will see it in 14.23. Do it in faith. Whatsoever is not done of faith is sin.
failing to allow, the, the biggest issue, again, in all of our lives is a failure to allow the gospel to transform our identity and our worth. And now all of a sudden, whether my kids get straight A's or whether my kids make the ball team or whether I get the promotion or, or whether I get into this college or whether da, da, all of those become the boast. And you know what that does? That, call, that, that creates division. When we go around and boasting, well, my kid got a full ride and your kid only got 90%. My kid did a home run. You, you, who cares? You know, division. Faith. When, when we realize that all of, us were, all of us were separated from the people of God, from the family of God, had no claim, and yet God in His grace crucified His Son that He could declare us righteous and bring us in and maintain His righteousness at the same time, we ought to be the most humble people in all the world. It ought to be a joy to serve Him. You see where obedience comes in? We're getting there. The only claim, you see it on your hand now, the only claim of righteousness that anyone can have is through faith in Christ alone, apart from works or ethnicity. Your claim to righteousness is through faith. With the result, no boasting. But and again, even in this, even in this we divide. Well, I've adopted, I've done this, I've, I've fostered 10 kids, and you fostered three kids, and I've, I don't do this, and I only hear I do this, and I do this, and I do this, and I do this. Division. Pride. Pride. The gospel reminds us that there were none righteous. No, not one. But God being rich in mercy, made a way for sinners to be declared righteous apart from the law, apart from works of any kind, regardless of your ethnicity. And the, 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 the reality of this, again, Paul will deal with it here, he'll deal with it in Romans 6. Our minds go to places because... You know, and we're prone to this. We're all, well, if you believe this, then you must believe this. No. If you believe this, well, you must believe this. No. Paul says, well, if you believe, they, so they would come to Paul and say, well, if you believe that, then people just live however they want to live. No. Not if you really grasp grace. I mean, does the fact that Karen on 2003 of June 28, 16 years ago, did that free me up to live like a fool? Or did that free me up to love her in a way that didn't, I couldn't love her prior to June 28, 2003, right? That, that covenant freed me up to love her in a way that I could never love her not being her husband. Right? And anyone who says otherwise, oh, Karen says she'll never leave you or forsake you. Well, that means, Chris, you can just go live however you want to live. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. That's a total misunderstanding of grace. Reminds me of that video of Joel Easton. I know my kids were laughing about it. Bradley's laughing about it when she says, we don't worship God for God. We worship God for ourselves. 
And then Steve Harvey comes in and says, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. Anyway, sorry. I saw them laughing, and I know what they were laughing at. Listen, grace, faith does not, does not allow us to live like fools. It doesn't allow us to live however we want to live. Grace has brought us into the fellowship of God to now love Him and serve Him and enjoy His fellowship in a way that we never could as sinners. See that? We were excluded. And now we've been brought in. We, we ought to be amazed by that. And you sit there and hand out faith in Christ not only upholds God's standard of righteousness, but it offers us this righteousness Again, through the work of Christ, Deuteronomy 6.25 says, it will, the law, it will be righteousness for you if you obey it. Righteousness has always been the issue. If you're going to commune with God, you've got to be righteous. Our sin makes us unrighteous, therefore there's a problem. God crucified Jesus, who is perfectly righteous, in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. What? That we would be the righteousness of God. Faith upholds that. It upholds the fact that we need to be righteous. And we're not. And again, Romans 7, I don't want to jump too far, but again, Romans 7, 7, Paul says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. I would not have known about coveting if the law had said do not covet. It showed me I need a Savior. I need someone to be righteous for me. And you see it on your hand now. Faith enables what the law sought to bring about, namely righteousness, to be fulfilled in us. It establishes. Listen, and Paul says faith establishes the law. What does faith agree? That you're a sinner. What did the law say? That you're a sinner. You know what faith agrees with? Faith agrees with the fact that you need someone outside of yourself to save you. You know what the law said? You need someone outside of yourself to save you. You know what the word the, the the law says that God is holy. You know what faith says? I'm not holy. I admit you're holy. I need someone to make me holy. You see how faith is simply it, it upholds what he's got has said all along. It agrees that I've fallen short. That I can't obey it. That I deserve death. Faith agrees with all of that, and yet it looks to Christ as my substitute. And out of that gratitude, last, you see it there, the grace of God transforms us to love obedience, not run from obedience, flowing from gratitude towards God's grace. And chapters 6-8 through eight will build on this. Even, even Romans 8, let me read Romans 8, 2-4. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. That word walk there is a manner of life. It's the way you conduct your life. We as believers conduct our life under the guidance of the Holy Spirit whom God gave Ephesians 1.13 as a seal that marks us off. 
Galatians 5, he says the same thing. Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Romans 8, 12. Walk by the Spirit, and you will crucify the desires of the flesh. How do we walk? Spirit-led. What did God give us at salvation? The Spirit. Why? That we could obey Him. That we would walk in light. That Spirit convicts of sin. It guides. It directs. It confirms. That's why 1 Thessalonians says, don't grieve the Spirit. Ephesians 4 says, do not quench the Spirit. I may have gotten those reversed. Forgive me. Why? Because we need the Spirit to guide. I need the Spirit to put my flesh to death. So that I can live to the glory of my King, to the one who crushed his Son. Again, Paul says this time and time again. Listen to Romans 13, 8 through 10 give you a snapshot of where we're heading in 2022 oh nothing to anyone except this love one another for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law there it is again for this you shall not commit adultery you shall not commit murder you shall not steal you shall not covet and if there is any other commandment it is summed up in this you shall love your neighbor as yourself love does no wrong to another to your neighbor therefore what Love is the fulfillment of the law. Go to John 13, a new commandment I give you. Love one another. This is how the world will know you're my disciples. If you what? Love one another. That's John 13, 34, 35. What's the mark of this body? It ought to be love. The overriding, the overriding mark of the body of Christ ought to be love. And that love is an indicator of who's at work in us, God. This is how you know love. Not that you loved God, but that God loved you. And that love shows, it's again, it's the love of God when we grasp that and it flows through us into one another. It fulfills the whole law. That's the purpose. Love one another. Love God, love one another. But our pride creeps in and it fights that. And we think we deserve to be loved, therefore you ought to deserve to be loved. We think, I earned it, therefore you ought to earn it. And again, we have an example in Christ. He did everything to the glory of his Father. Even, Philippians 2 says, dying on a cross. Ironically, at the beginning of Philippians 2, it says, have this attitude, have this mindset that was also in Christ. That although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he did what? He emptied himself, taking on the form of a bondservant. And being made in the likeness of flesh, appearing in a man, even he died, even death on a cross. Humility. The mark, of, the mark of this body ought to be love, a humble love. Why? Because of what God has done for us through Christ. Outside of ourselves. The mark of you in your neighborhoods, in your schools, Christian, ought to be a humble love for your teachers, your fellow students, in your workplaces, humble love. In your neighborhoods, a humble love. Why? Because everything about your Christianity was, was graced to you through faith. So that neighbor that's driving you crazy, love them, because you were them. That co-worker, love them. You say, oh, they're my, that spouse that's your enemy, you know what the Bible says we ought to do to our enemies? Love them. So a couple quick things, let's end here. Application. Ill illegitimate pride, meaning thinking you've done something to earn your salvation. 
Illegitimate pride and boasting stifles worship of the one true God. Stifles worship. It stifles worship. Listen. Part of the reason some of us can't worship, we can blame a whole lot of people. We can blame me, and you can blame Daniel, and you can blame the song choice, and you can blame all that. Here's what, here's what I know. Where the love of God is rich, worship is rich. Right? Now listen, I'm not saying you don't have song preferences and all that. Daniel, has, Daniel gets to choose four songs out of the millions he could choose every Sunday. What are the chances he's picking all four of your favorites? Listen, but here's what I've noticed about my relationship, again, back to marriage. I don't care where Karen and I go to eat. You know what I care more about? That I'm eating with her. Right? Listen, there's not, you want to talk about Hallmark movies and all that. She did not marry the Hallmark King. We go to Sam's every Friday, usually because we're buying goldfish and animal crackers for the church and all kinds of other stuff for the church. You know what? We share a pretzel and a Coke at Sam's. How romantic. Just what she dreamed of when she was a young one. Not that she's not, not that she's old. Forgive me, that didn't come out right. <laughs> Whoops. We won't say what she turns on February 12th. No, I'm teasing. Right? I mean, and if we really feel crazy, like we'll split sushi from Sam's. Oh, uh, Sam's. No offense to Sam's. But. but here's the deal. You know what we enjoy? We enjoy doing it together. It's not about the pretzel. It's not about the Coke. It's not about the sushi. It's out of all the things that we could be doing, you know what we did? We set aside those things and we chose to spend time with each other. And pride, listen, pride will always stifle worship. I, I would encourage, uh, ask yourself, that might be the problem with some of our worship. We can, we can blame Daniel and me and the song choice and the temperature. And I, Listen, if we really loved, the God, loved God, I promise you we'd worship. I promise you. It's pride. And, and, and secondly, accomplishments that we tend to boast, listen, are at best, at best, imperfect and inconsistent, right? You, you think about anything in your life. At the very, look, we, Facebook, you get to see the best of everybody, and they're in Hawaii, and they're here, and they're there. Look, you don't know what the rest of the 51 weeks look like in their home. At best, inconsistent. And we boast about these, we boast about these high watermarks. At the very best, our works are imperfect and inconsistent. There ought to be humility there. Humility. To be sure, I mean, Titus 2.14 says God is called out and is creating a people that who are to be zealous. God's grace teaches us to deny ungodliness and be zealous for good deeds. Right? I, I'm going to close with this, and we're, we're going to get out of here a few minutes late. Forgive me. I, I've been pretty good about getting us out of here at 11.45, so I'm going to take advantage of that and take back some of that grace. L listen to Luke 17, Luke 17, verses 7 through 10. Which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, 
will say to him when he has come in from the field, Come immediately and sit down to eat. But will he not say to him, Prepare something for me to eat, and properly clothe yourselves and serve, serve me while I eat and drink? And afterwards you may eat and drink. He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? Here it is. So you too, when you do all the things that you are commanded, you say, We are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. Think about that. You're, you're, for those of you who are believers in Jesus Christ, the Bible promises that one day you're going to stand before him. You're going to have no boast. And anything that you and I do is simply what we ought to have done as slaves. In view of God's mercy, it's simply what we ought to have done. You think about what this place would look like, in our, but, but even beyond, if that was our attitude. Hey, you go first. No, no, you go first. Hey, can I get that for you? Hey, can I, can I, can I, let's hang out this week. My treat. Hey, let's fellowship. Imagine what this place would look like. Imagine how attractive that would be. Imagine how much God would be glorified in that. Crushing our pride, realizing this, and we're simply unworthy slaves who are doing what we ought to have done anyway, in light of God's grace. 